0: I went to a marvelous party. Max, most people don't even know the facts.
1: The
2: underlying they go with their
1: ideas
0: gut and don't have enough depth your to last about entire city. <laughs> Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time.
1: Fine, you first, Eric. <laughs>
0: Live from the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the Internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through thedinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Welcome to the Dinner Party Show. I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And tonight we will not be talking about Kristen Stewart or Robert Pattinson or whether or not they are dating each other or other people they might be dating or how they feel about each other dating other people or anything they ever do in their private or public life, ever at least until next
1: week when we'll probably have a new reason not to talk about them. Christopher? We will also not be talking about how, in the wake of Mitt Romney's defeat on Tuesday, Republican strategist Mary Madeline came apart like a drunken Irish daughter at her abusive father's wake. We will not be discussing her wildly hypocritical claim that President Obama ran a campaign of hostility and division when she herself was on TV weeks before, referring to those on government assistance as parasites. We believe this is a time for the Victors to lecture the losers on how it's time to pull together and heal, which we will all start doing as soon as Mary shuts the fuck up.
0: We will also absolutely not be talking about Dancing with the Stars, with the possible exception of fleeting moments of personal schadenfreude over my nemesis and former writing partner being the first person voted off the show this season. And to her I still say, where's my check? But other than that, we're not covering
1: it, we're not talking about it, and we are not discussing it. Christopher? Also tonight, we will not be talking about Denise Helms, the California woman who was fired from her job and had her Facebook account deactivated after she used her status update to refer to the president by the N-word and expressed her hope that someone would assassinate him during his next term. We're not talking about you, Denise. I'm sure some right-wing publisher will give you a book deal so you can take your place alongside Carrie Prejean, John Rocker and other forgotten bigots of yours. But for now, enjoy your 15 minutes of death threats, girlfriend.
0: And in case we've left anything out that we will be leaving out, we will not be talking about any TV talent shows, any winners of any TV talent shows, any judges on any TV talent shows, any TV housewives, desperate, real, or otherwise, any TV dating shows, or any couple who met on one. Our only mention of the Jersey Shore will be to express concern for the residents and how they are faring after Sandy, and we will not be talking about any top models, survivors, big brothers or anyone whose last name
1: is Kardashian. And lest we forget, we will not be talking about the fact that Justin Bieber broke up with his girlfriend Selena Gomez this week because... We don't like talking about Justin Bieber. In fact, we don't even like looking at Justin Bieber for longer than 15 seconds because it makes us feel like we've done something that could be considered a crime in 10 states. So we'll stick to Tom Daly's Twitter feed. Thank you very much. But tonight we won't be talking about that either. Everything else is still
0: on the table for tonight's live cast of The Dinner Party Show. And now, as with every
1: good dinner, let us begin on a spiritual note. Tonight's dinner party provocation will be provided by the Right Reverend L. Roy Bean of the Church of the Sacred Eternal Damnation. Dear Lord,
0: look down on us here tonight at this God-forsaken table. We beg your infinite mercy for these two lost sinners and their misguided guests. Forgive their snide jokes and their irreverent disregard for the true beliefs held by most good and decent people none of whom are probably listening to this show anyway. We thank you, God, for revealing yourself to those of us who drink your blood and eat your flesh and are forgiven. Help those who do not believe as we do to see the light and find salvation that they might escape their eternity in a lake of fire as just punishment for disagreeing with us about how we think they should behave. Let your love show these hopeless and unnatural abominations the righteous path, lest they be cast into the pit for being different than what we think is normal. Amen. Wow, he was a bit much. You know, I think that's an important part of doing what it is that he does.
1: Well, I'm hoping that we bring in a buffet of spiritual leaders and oh, not I think just. So. Okay, good. I
0: think we have to to have a representative cross section of. You know, all of the uh, spiritual beliefs of our, yeah.
1: Uh Uh-huh, yeah, keep talking, Quinn. Well, you know, I'm not really an expert in this area,
0: not really my thing as much.
1: We thought in a nod to a more traditional dinner party format, we would begin every dinner party with a provocation from a a different spiritual leader. That guy was recommended to us by someone we won't mention, and I'm not sure we'll be having him back. He was a little, I don't know, a little hurdy.
0: Heavy-handed. Well, you know... It's about religious freedom, right? It, it is, it
1: is. <laughs> and all will be represented at our, dinner par- at our dinner table on The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Welcome to our hundreds and thousands and hopefully millions of listeners. <laughs> welcome to
0: everyone we've ever met or talked to on a cell phone. Welcome. Thank to you so much for tuning in, all 200 of you.
1: Uh, yes, welcome to all our friends who said, oh, listen to the podcast later. Once upon a time is on. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't be telling people what's on TV right now. It's a radio foul. Get a DVR. Yes, absolutely. So, um, Welcome to the premiere
0: of The Dinner Party Show. Yeah. Uh, we were going to have a fanfare here, but I have no idea where it
1: is. You know, <laughs> as I've been saying to people, there are a lot of podcasts out there that are very raw and unedited. And this is really, um, a lot of production goes into this broadcast
2: <laughs> as
0: a, a big box of production. You, I wish everybody could have been here, and I think we were recording it. The five minutes that preceded our beginning this show, where everybody was running up and down the hallway with their hair on fire. It's our first show, and we're figuring out how to do this. So all of our shows, I think, but certainly this one in particular are going to be about Christopher and Eric learn to Do a Radio Show. So bear with us. We're sorry we started a minute late, I think. But uh, we're here, and we'll stay a minute longer so that you get the full impact.
1: Absolutely. And we want to announce our very special guest at the dinner table this evening. She is... Ann Romney recovering from the devastating no, loss of uh, her. Oh, oh, Christopher, no, we, we, we couldn't. Oh, get really? Him. Yeah, no, she was. No, she I know was she kind of stopped texting on Wednesday. She I don't really? Know what yeah. They, well, I She's think whatever. I think he turned off
0: her cell phone. The campaign oh, wouldn't pay for it anymore. Right. <laughs> right. So there was another famous Ann who happened to be in the neighborhood who we happened to have her phone
1: number. Actually, she doesn't have a phone. She <laughs> only communicates through her Facebook page. <laughs> She, she only communicates two people of her Facebook page as she calls them. She is Anne Rice, my mother, the celebrated novelist, the amazing mother, the fill-in last minute guest for the right-wing Republican presidential candidate who couldn't make it tonight. Um, we we are very happy to have her in the studio. And I think this is as long as we slated this segment to go, right? I,
0: there's no <laughs> clock yet because we're still putting the show together. So we don't know what time it is. So we're guessing that's as long as we're... Oh, look, it's, there's a clock and it's not been started. So it's we're still at zero.
1: 5.11 on the West Coast. <laughs> it's allegedly 8.11 on the East Coast. We don't know where it is where you are, but hopefully you're listening to our show. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And there's no reason to say that because we're not on a radio station where you could possibly be listening to anyone's show beside ours.
0: But we like saying our names a lot, so we'll probably say it a lot more. Okay, so this is the hors d'oeuvre portion of the evening, and we'll begin um, the hors d'oeuvre evening every week with uh, a little check-in with our live news correspondent,
1: Breck Artery. Here he is. TDPS News takes you live to Breck Artery, who is standing by at the abandoned site of the Mitt Romney victory celebration. This is Breck Artery,
0: coming to you live from the ballroom at the Midtown Marriott in Boston, Massachusetts, where the Mitt Romney victory celebration would have taken place had there been one. Partially deflated balloons remain in sagging bags hanging from the ceiling here, and Romney campaign organizers remain baffled. The fact that their candidate's message of intolerance, his promised rollback of women's and pretty much everyone else's rights, The prospect of cannibalized Medicare and Social Security, the gutting of all federal programs designed to help anyone other than anyone who doesn't actually need help from the federal government, a return to the catastrophic economic policies of the Bush administration, and a more sensitive approach to the parental rights of rapists didn't sweep the governor into office has stunned those connected to the campaign. Said one supporter, We paid good money for this presidency, What is this country coming to when $22 billion worth of vicious and untrue advertising cannot buy you the minds and souls of Americans? Clearly, there is still work to be done on the systematic dismantling of public education in this country if people are still thinking for themselves, unquote. The Romney strategy of simply saying whatever people he happened to be speaking to at the moment wanted to hear didn't pay off as it has since the technique was pioneered by legendary liar Ronald Reagan during his eight years of economy-destroying victory. There are even unsubstantiated rumors in the political community that some candidates are considering the truth, or at least reality-based fact, as a possible component of future campaigning but the ugly specters of integrity and conviction are of little consolation to the defeated Romney camp who consistently refused to provide any verifiable details of any policy they might conceivably have implemented once in office while they blurred any sense of reality with their assurances of rosy results from their non-existent policies. Clearly, they told us what they thought we wanted to hear, but without the skill of a trained actor like former President Reagan, we just didn't buy it. What's needed here seems to be either an actual viable plan for governing the wealthiest and most powerful country in the history of the world, or someone who's a better storyteller so that the electorate is willing to believe the myths and fairy tales that candidates have been running on for years. We as Americans want to believe that we can live the lavish and fantastic lives that we saw in the movies or on television somewhere without that pesky encumbrance of consequence and responsibility and most of all, without having to pay for anything ever. So then, the failure of the Romney campaign isn't so much a political failure as it is simply a failure to convince us there is no monster under the bed and that by making old rich white guys even richer that all our lives will be better and the future brighter for everyone. On the plus side, Paul Ryan now has four years to bury everything he's ever believed in the hope that he can shape himself into the perfect beard for his billionaire masters, disguised as the tax-free savior of the very policies and programs he's been working to dismantle since he arrived in Washington shortly after graduating from high school. He can go to a good acting class. He can practice and refine his storytelling and his myths. He can work on those rock-hard abs and just wear a speedo to debates and campaign events. Or, perhaps, he can just grow a pair and run on what he really believes and plans to do. He might not win, but it's a cinch that he'll feel better about himself than Governor Romney or Senator McCain. This is Breck Artery saying good night and good dinner. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show will be the judge of that.
1: May I just point out that Breck Artery, who was our news correspondent in the previous segment, seems to have what I would call a distinctly liberal bias. I think it's very fair and balanced. You think my assertion that he has a liberal bias is fair and balanced, or you believe Breck Artery— I think Breck
0: Artery is our very fair and balanced um, reporter.
1: Yeah, Okay. I, All think right. his views okay. are, yeah, I think he's a very reasonable man. Okay. Well, welcome to the hors d'oeuvre, which is our current events section of every broadcast. But we want to start first by thanking nice because people. Because hors
0: d'oeuvres are not good the second day.
1: Well, we do have good hors d'oeuvres on our Facebook page, apparently, because people are saying nice things about us, like Jim Versteeg. I hope I pronounced his name correctly. We were on his podcast, Gay Sunday Brunch, this morning. And uh, oh, hi, Jim. he would like to uh, take exception to my comment about raw, unedited podcasts. Naturally, we were not talking about his wonderful show, which we loved being on. Paige Crutcher and Jack Ryan and Carol Brown are all saying nice things about us on Twitter. MJ Rose is listening from the East Coast. We have our friends at the dinner table, and it's a wonderful thing. Makes every dinner the best. Okay. So, for our current events segment. Well, I think that we should start with,
0: you know, certainly the one of the more important things that's happening today is that it's the premiere of the dinner party show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Because we is. like saying that. But— Probably considerably more important that, than that. Today is actually, officially, I think, Veterans Day. Tomorrow is Veterans Day observed, but I think today, the 11th, is um, Veterans Day. You know why the 11th is
1: is Veterans Day, No, I have no idea. It was originally... <laughs> <laughs> Said the co-host wow. who forgot to start the clock on the segment.
0: Practicing his ad lib. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it was – this was Armistice Day. This was the day that they signed the 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 pacts to end – the war to end all wars, which ended up not being because it got a number, World War I. Um And so that didn't really pan out and it continued to be Armistice Day. But since it wasn't really an armistice and we didn't really stop fighting and then there was Korea and there was World War II and there was all of these other – They decided – there was a a man in Emporia, Kansas, Mm. Alvin King. So a special shout-out to Alvin King, the King family, and all the folks in Emporia, Kansas. In 1953, decided that they should celebrate recognized veterans. We have Memorial Day to recognize um, people who died fighting for our country. But we have Memorial Day – I mean we have Veterans Day to celebrate people who've served our country. So we at the dinner party want to thank people for – their service to the country, mm-hmm. and we want to recognize Alvin King and Emporia, Kansas for having the idea in 1953 of making um, Armistice Day, mm. which nobody knows what that means anymore, into Veterans Day, which really actually think, means a lot to a lot of Americans. And in 1954, President Eisenhower actually made it Veterans Day. So that is my current event.
1: That's lovely. What today? were you uh, doing on Armistice Day? Do you remember
0: that's really um, <laughs> hard to remember. That's really, yeah. you weren't born yet. Because age cracks. That's how age we're starting. Cracks. We're not even 30 minutes into the show and we're already going off
1: about my age. I just like that your current events item was dated from the early 1950s. I just thought that was amusing. Actually, it was, it was dated from,
0: on. I think it's 1918.
1: 1918 was Armistice Day, but the gentleman you were just speaking of from Emporia, Kansas, went to Washington to have the date changed in the early 1950s. Is that right? Now who's talking
0: about things that
1: happened in the (laughs) early 1950s? Is (laughs) it me? You know what? Look, the the joy of this segment is that you get to see our different personalities. I really went deep for a story that i think is really relevant
0: let's let's hear what you think then is the current event that we ought to be discussing today
1: i i think it is time that we all start talking about the hundreds and hundreds of ufos that have been spotted on the india china border Are you awake? Are there people on the
0: India-China border? Are they allowed to be there?
1: They're they're very. It's a very long border. It's a two thousand one hundred mile border between two very very large nations. And the witnesses say the objects have been seen in recent months. They are yellow spheres that appear to lift off from the Chinese side. My guess is that it's the Indians saying it's on the Chinese side. These objects slowly traverse the sky for three to five hours before disappearing which is very common in UFO sighting stories. They're there, and then they're simply not there. They don't always take off, which uh, lends credence to the theory that these are not extraterrestrial crafts but interdimensional, but I don't want to They just left
0: the time zone, yeah. Yeah, They're in a different time zone. They're in a different dimension. They're time travelers.
1: yeah. The Indian Army reportedly deployed a mobile ground-based radar unit and a spectrum analyzer to assess what was dancing around up there. This is an article from the L.A. Times that I'm quoting from. As the Indian troops watched the light show, however, the machines picked up zilch. According to India Today magazine, that suggests that the UFOs were non-metallic. So Something is Nothing going was on. there,
0: I think, is what it suggests.
1: Nothing that we know in I, this plane of reality. My Eric. theory,
0: my theory is that it's those um, those candle wish lantern things you can get.
1: That is exactly the explanation that was offered the first time there was a rash of UFO sightings. The Indian government claims they investigated and said that they were Chinese lanterns, right? Who is setting off scores of Chinese lanterns on an isolated, rugged border in between two vast, mountainous regions? Well,
0: my guess would be the Chinese.
1: Okay. I Well, okay. There's also another theory. You're one step ahead of this article, and I didn't even give you a copy of it before we came over to the studio. The other theory is that this is a test on the part of the Chinese to test the Indians' uh, response system, right? So it's, it, they, they – throw out this really scary, mysterious thing, and then they watch how they react. And how they react is apparently with a lot of uh, news articles about it that don't seem to be alarming anyone in the United States very much. Or in India, particularly. Well, it says, This is hardly the first time mysterious objects have been reported along the border, including sightings of inexplicable lights over the last decade around... And I'm going to mispronounce this, Ladka, I believe, part of a barren militarized area wedged between the Pakistan-controlled part of Kashmir and Chinese-controlled Aksai Chin. Okay. The best part of this article, however, is buried at the very end, and I'm just going to read it to you as is. All right. Sunil Dar, a geology professor with – I'm not going to be able to pronounce this right. We've Dara Masala's government postgraduate college was on a research expedition with four other geologists and several reporters in 2004 when they saw – and I'm, I'm literally quoting the article here – a four-foot-tall robot-like figure descending a hill near their camp just as they were climbing out of their tents. As the object approached – Bear in mind, this is allegedly a four-foot-tall robot. Some in the group raised the alarm, and, it, and the figure ascended back up the hill, changed color from white to metallic black, and went airborne, hovering for about ten minutes before disappearing altogether. We were all amazed, he said. We thought it was some UFO. I probably would have gone with flying robot, but anyway. Some object from some place that may not be Earth. They say they provided photos to the authorities, but the government never issued a report.
0: Well, you think maybe it's oxygen deprivation? That's kind of a high altitude there. It really gives credence to the whole autoerotic asphyxiation fad.
1: You think these people went up into the mountains just to autoerotics asphyxiate? No, I think think they just...
0: (laughs) <laughs> I think, uh, Auto-erotic officiate. Autoerotic erotic
2: officiate.
0: <laughs> I'm a auto-erotic officiator. Um, well, that's really um, – I'm, I'm sticking with Emporia, Kansas and Veterans
1: Day. But do you see how my story is ultimately more relevant? Is that a no? You're just staring how, at me. How
0: is it more relevant than Veterans Day?
1: If there are giant lights in the sky – I just think that's more relevant than veterans. You're right. It's not relevant at all. It was a joke. And you're
0: not wearing a flag pen. I question your Americanism.
1: I question your interdimensionality, (laughs) sir. Are you a real American? (laughs) I am a real American that believes in UFOs. Here's the thing. I am a real American that believes we don't really know what to believe yet. But I do believe – I don't believe, I should say, excuse me, that our governments are already in contact with alien civilizations, which is – a viewpoint expressed by many who were interviewed for this article because I think if that were true, we would have – uh we would be doing a lot better than we are currently or we would have been obliterated at the moment of contact.
0: I think that's really <laughs>
2: – <laughs> Did I just throw Eric
1: Shaw Quinn? That's
0: so bleh?
1: Well, I don't know. I, you know, like I just –
0: The thing that I always think is implicit in all of these is the arrogance of being human, like that we are so fascinating that people would travel across space and time to see us or my favorite breed with us, which is always like, ew.
1: yes. And I think creatively we are ripe, excuse me, for a renaissance in terms of alien fiction. As my mother, who will be a guest uh, in a few minutes, said once very famously to me alone and to no one else. The problem with all alien stories. The problem with all alien stories is that the premise is the same: they're fish and they're hungry. I'm sorry, they look like fish and they're hungry. You know, so we're 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 in the post X Files generation now, and I think we're ripe for this subject to sort of crack open in the hands. Well, I hope it's a more sophisticated
0: treatment. Yeah, Yeah, I'm with you on that. Absolutely. All right then. Well, that's current events with us today.
1: Two things that are not remotely relevant or current. Our current, to the current political but they are definitely events. Absolutely. In keeping with our our new slogan, "Lean back, you'll get less on you." We thought we'd go with the lighter side of current events. And now I believe it's time for a word from one of our sponsors. And after that, we'll be hearing from Twan, Queen of the Stars, oh, our astrologer,
0: astrological forecast. So it's kind of a good lead in with the whole space thing.
1: Absolutely. All right then. But See you now it's time for a commercial. Are you tired of stories on the nightly news that ask you to examine the consequences of your own behavior? Are you tired of newscasts that focus too much on who isn't paying their fair share of taxes or who needs to recycle more? Do you just have days when you're so exhausted from spending your workday on Facebook that you just can't handle a bunch of good-looking TV people asking you to be a better person than you really are? Isn't it time you got to enjoy and learn from a newscast that focuses entirely on the bad behavior of people who don't look at all like you? Well, master, then it's time to call your cable provider and sign up for RNN, the racist news network, bringing you 24-hour reasons to blame your problems on people whose accents you can't understand. Wherever news is happening, we'll be there to catch every racial stereotype before it falls through the cracks. Was a major auto accident in Los Angeles caused by an Asian driver? We'll be there with live team coverage to get reactions from all the bystanders who lost the relative in the Korean War. Did a black man in Philadelphia just buy a watermelon and get defensive about it? We'll be there to interview the white checkout lady he verbally abused. When political elites take a perfectly innocuous use of the n-word out of context, we'll be there to show you the proper use of racial epithets. And in order to ensure fair and balanced coverage, we'll bring you our ongoing series, Profiles in Courage, a salute to mild-mannered members of racial minorities who don't make us uncomfortable. The Racist News Network. Call your cable provider today and keep pressing one for English.
0: Come on, Queen of the Stars here with the real dirt on what the constellations are up to and how you can read the signs before they read you. Mm Mm-hmm, you heard me, Taurus. This week, the stars are all over the place. With Mercury in retrograde and Leo's conjunctionitis, that's right, Leo, you'll hardly know which way is up or what's coming or going until later in the week with the calming influence of the full moon. Unless you are Miss Sagittarius, who cannot seem to think about anybody but herself. It might be Cancer's birthday, but don't count on Sagittarius remembering, or so much as bringing a card if she does deign to show up at the party that Pisces knocked himself out planning. You might think that being a sign of action and change that Sagittarius would be able to show up for something besides herself, but you would be confusing her with Virgo, who is a much bigger help with Cancer's birthday party, even though Virgo hardly even knows Cancer. So, if you're all higgly-piggly this week while you're waiting for Mercury to settle his ass down... Look to Virgo for a little balance or Cancer to be a good friend because you sure can't count on Miss It's All About Me Sagittarius when the eclipses are down. As a constellation for the rest of the Zodiac who bothered to grow up, at least we'll all have somebody to blame it on. Think about it, Sag. Till next time, this is Twan reminding you to watch out for the stars. you are listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Soup, brought to you by your perpetually victimized gay brother.
2: I will
1: have you know that I am writing a play about all of you.
0: The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. And now, in keeping with The Dinner Party Show's tradition of celebrating literacy and the written word, we bring you an excerpt from one of this week's best-selling audiobook titles, the latest release from multiple Edgar Award-winning mystery writer Edward Lee Hopkins' Bruce Feather. The Los Angeles Review of Books describes Bruce Feather as a cross between Cormac McCarthy and that uncle you can never get to stop talking about Vietnam. His latest book is called The Ever-Breaking Heart of the Fallen Angels. It's his 19th novel featuring Jimmy Asaker.
1: I awoke to the sight of lions tearing the flesh from a gazelle. I watched in horror as the gazelle's blood flowed, red and unstoppable as a baby's insides. The lion's eyes a-twinkle with primal ferocity and raw appetite, delighted in the gnashing of flesh and bone which they had initiated in the morning light of a forsaken dawn. I was powerless to stop them. Powerless once again to stop the slaughter, just as I had been powerless to stop the murder of Suzelle Luttrell a week before. But I couldn't tear my eyes away from the hot red commerce of death and destruction, which often led me to commit acts of inexplicable, plot-advancing violence against my adversaries. Then my wife walked in and changed the channel to the Today Show. I never saw what happened to the gazelle, but I'm pretty sure it was toast.
3: You gotta ride and give me some milk, Jimmy Assacre.
1: I couldn't bring myself to tell my wife that the side of milk's inexorable white flow always reminded me of a man named Hyatt Dirt Dauber, who I'd shot through the heart with an Apache crossbow when I caught him fornicating with a young prostitute girl whose parents had been trampled by wild elk when she was five years old. Hyatt was a sick bastard who liked to drink milk while he had sex with young prostitutes.
3: Are you going to get me some milk or not, Jimmy?
1: I agreed to my wife's intrusive request, if only because it allowed me to walk for several blocks focusing on every atrocity I had ever witnessed or heard tell of in my lifetime. But eventually, my thoughts of the Titanic and the Jonestown Massacre coalesced around an image of Suzelle Luttrell that had run in our local paper the week before. She was a sweet, Pretty girl, as all murdered girls are. Before her death, she had been stripped naked and her clothes had been strung from telephone lines all over town before being set aflame by her killer in five different locations. Her only son was missing, presumably sold into white slavery, and someone had released wild dogs into her home where they had urinated over every inch of her small, humble house before someone had driven a Mack truck through it. It was a hell of a lot of trouble to go through to kill a girl who worked the counter at Walgreens, but the police didn't have any leads. They only really cared about all the burning clothes on telephone lines because that had shut down a few roads and people in small towns hate that. I tried to focus on what I knew about Suzelle as I walked to the grocery store, but the sounds of passing cars were like fallen angels being dragged behind trucks by chains through forests of stinging nettles while trained seals barked nearby because they were getting tased by a Nazi stormtrooper. Suzelle Luttrell, sweet, innocent, now her son was missing, her house a ruin that smelled of dog urine and diesel fuel, and my tired behind was going to the grocery store to get some milk because my wife didn't want to hear me complain about another terrible hangover. In the grocery store, I began to weep uncontrollably at the sight of a little girl who would have looked just like Suzelle Luttrell if she'd been five feet taller and about ten years older and had corn silk blonde hair instead of short brown hair and a page boy cut. Still, the time it took me to weep was also the time I needed to remember where the milk was. I was wandering down the aisle in the direction of where I thought the milk should be when I felt movement on the back of my neck. I spun on my attacker. Images of tracer fire and jungle fields bathed in Agent Orange lit up my vision. Even though I'm 65 and subsist entirely on a diet of chili con carne and Jack Daniels, I used several jujitsu moves to land my attacker flat on his back on a pile of canned peas. I saw, to my shame, that it was one of the checkout kids, fresh-faced and innocent, and obviously eager to find out if this old man had been lost. I almost apologized before I realized it had been almost half a chapter before I'd done something rash and reckless as a result of a flashback to Vietnam. And so I continued on, weeping, to find the milk. Well, that's some book, huh? I have to say. It's intense. It is an intense page-turner. What's that author's name? Edward Lee Hopkins Bruise Feather.
0: Well, it's definitely, it's all, this. the soup today is going to be all about literacy.
1: Because?
0: Our very special guest is? My mom is here! World, world, world famous author Anne Rice is here at the dining table with Christopher and me for the Dinner Party Show's premiere. Thanks for coming in, Anne.
4: I'm delighted to be here, gentlemen. It's beautiful. You're Lovely. Having
0: a good time so far?
4: I am. I love the red drapes. They're gorgeous. Everything is just very nice here.
1: It's it's a real thing. It's not some little office with recording Absolutely equipment in it. Not. It's a thing. Absolutely it's right. It's a not.
0: thing. Yeah, that's what we were going for. It's a, a thing. thing. Yeah. It's what's happening. It's a dining room. It's like we were going for that. We want it to be actually a dinner party. Billy was here to take good care of you out Absolutely. front.
4: Absolutely. And the caviar is delicious. You know. We did. Very you, good. You Smoked did... salmon is very good. The, the it was a
0: writer in her contract. Don't all our Cree- guests come in expecting
1: I, that's that. That's what I was do. Yeah, don't say that. Mom, you did such a wonderful job of promoting our show and your appearance on Facebook. In fact, you're the queen of Facebook.
4: I wouldn't say that, I'm really. Pretty close. Well, you're yeah. yeah, pretty close.
0: It's either you or Justin Bieber.
1: <laughs> I think he's the king of Twitter. I'm sorry, the princess of Twitter. Mom is the queen of Facebook. Yeah. And well, a lot you. of I'm your people I'm of the page are listening in. They've been oh, leaving glad. comments They're on glad. our page. Thank and
0: you very much. We appreciate think, everybody
1: listening do in. Do you
4: think any Republican people of the page are still with you?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> I think we all, we're down to the green party at the dinner party show. <laughs> but look,
4: the reality is is the tagline for
1: the show is everyone gets served. So absolutely. Stick the, around. If the people absolutely. you hate haven't gotten stuck yet, just wait. Just wait stay tuned. Wait yeah. till the end of the broadcast. We're coming after
0: everybody. Okay. Yeah, That's absolutely. right. Nobody gets <clears throat> out of here without dinner.
4: I yeah. understand.
1: But, Mom, talk. let's talk some about your relationship to Facebook, because it's been a very important thing for you these past few years. It's been a sort of direct I, I line of communication. It. I love yeah. it.
4: Yeah, I have, a, I have a page, and I refer to the people on the page as the people of the page. And I go on every day, several times a day, and uh, really enjoy it very much. I, lo- I love to talk about all kinds of things on Facebook, um, serious subjects, light subjects, TV, politics poetry, film, books, my books, my characters, whatever. I love to ask questions of the people of the right. page. Like, you know, if you w- would you take the dark gift from Lestat if he offered it to you to become a vampire? You know, that type of thing. And, and I'll get maybe like a thousand answers. And it's, well, it's really what did, great. What
1: did the majority of them say? Yes or no? Uh,
4: actually, they there were a whole range of comments. Most of them said yes, but a lot of them wanted the dark gift from another vampire. Why? They wanted it from Armand or they wanted it from Marius or they wanted it from Claudia. You know, the, the, I don't know. One thing that I love about my readers is that they have all these choices and all these favorites, and they can get pretty angry with me over, you know who's their favorite vampire, and, you know, what, what What am I saying about vampires, and so forth. I caused a terrible scandal on the page recently. What happened? I, well, I insisted that Lestat was a fan of Honey Boo Boo, and people <laughs> people left the page enraged. You know what? <laughs> Let me
1: just say something about that, because I watch the page from a distance, yes. it, which is every night before bed. I go on and I read oh, the comments, yeah. some of which, I those people better hope they never meet me in person. Well,
4: no, that, um, I, I do welcome all opinions.
1: That's fine, and I think it's great. Just and like it, the dinner, it, Absolutely, found. you welcome all opinions. Um, Every time one of them writes some post about, that is it, I am leaving your page, I have lost respect for you, your number of followers goes up by about 50%. Well,
4: it makes me sad every time someone leaves, but since I don't believe... Mom, I don't think
1: they're actually leaving. I think it's just an empty threat. That's what I'm trying to say. I understand.
4: But I don't believe in shunning people. Who hold different political views from me, or you know, absolutely either. not? So it's always a little bit of a shock when someone says that. If I post something on the Democratic Party or the election, and they say, "That's it, I'm off your page. I'm going to boycott your books at the local store. I'm never, you know, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to destroy you personally." I'm always amazed because when did this start shunning the other mainstream party it in America? Really is. It when really did this is. happen? That I'm- people. You know, well, whatever. Okay. We
1: have it on our side of the fence too. We have it on the gay community. Whenever a co- before the real story is in on something a, co- a corporation or a company did, yeah. everybody starts saying, "Let's do a boycott." Yes. And I people know. who are seasoned activists say, "Hey, wait a minute. A, we don't have the whole story. And B, a boycott is a very complicated thing. You don't just boycott a product. You have to organize people to boycott." On mass for it to be effective. Well,
4: well, we need to think about what it means to boycott somebody for holding a sincere opinion about something. Mm-hmm. See, I, I don't believe we should do that, basically. Now, if you, if you think that a corporation is doing something that's really destructive and evil out there with their money and with their publicity and their power, that's one thing. But just for being Republican or being Democrat or being anti gay marriage or being pro gay marriage, what right have we to try to force people economically to change their conscientious opinions? I don't think that's right. I never did. I mean back in the fifties when I went to college, you know, everyone said we're not gonna eat Welsh's junior mints because of the John Burt Society. And I thought, well, <laughs> that's ridiculous. I mean the man that's what the man believes. He's an arch conservative. We're not we're gonna try to I mean first of all, what difference is it gonna make to him if we don't eat junior mints? But I mean Maybe, maybe. Uh, but I
0: but I think there's also something to be said for standing up for what you believe in like it it it's fine if you believe that, like the Chick-fil-A guy.
4: Well no that's if he
0: wants to believe that and he wants to exactly. use that as a vote. That's fine, but it's also, you know, my I vote with my feet, right? Well, sure, I'm not going sure. to show up for you. That's sure. not, I, that doesn't work for me, and so I'm not going in. Yeah. I, but, I
4: but that's a different thing from systematically trying to destroy the man's business because he holds a different you know, you're right you know. there are two different we'll types we'll of boycotts think about this, you know. there's a
1: personal boycott which I think is what Eric sure. is describing yeah, I and don't then there's, eat there. there's a we're trying to really destroy the business but let me yeah. say something that I, I absolutely believe and I have to say it I am never boycotting Krispy Kreme ever <laughs> I don't care if their owner runs over dogs for fun those are the best donuts I've ever That's had. We just lost all the exactly dog owners. yeah
4: the same way about Jack in the Box tacos. I mean, forget it.
1: Mom, I don't think they've made tacos for 15 years. Aha, uh-huh, but they
4: have. <laughs> they do. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. And I buy them. <laughs> <laughs> and I eat them all the time. And, and I kind of tell you what it means to me to know that I can still get those tacos after fifty. And they're years. like a dollar and, and ten it's cents the, or something. Exactly. The, and it's the same the little bag hot full of tacos. tacos. Same little hot taco with that same little hot sauce. And I used to get that in Berkeley when I was an aspiring writer and I was working on my old IBM typewriter and stealing paper from, from various places in order <sighs> to write. And I would get those tacos and Shocking. it would just be it would just be the most wonderful evil pleasure. And I can still go out where I live in the California doesn't get those tacos.
1: Excellent. Well, I want to remind our listeners they're listening to the live cast of the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shockwin. <laughs> Unless they our... downloaded
0: this for a podcast, <laughs> and it's no longer live.
1: But right now, that is our way of guilting them into listening to the live show. I see. We want to take a very brief break for a word from one of our sponsors.
0: Are you tired of all those fancy frou frou candles that make your home smell like some weird place that Europeans might visit? Tired of scented candles with hard-to-pronounce names and flowers you've never heard of as their base fragrance? Well, the folks at Arresting Home Aromatics have finally come up with a solution for you. Their new Heartland Candles line.
2: Cheryl and I had some friends
1: over the other night for a BBQ and, well, we'd forgotten to prepare anything for a
2: side dish, so we lit one of them Frito Pie candles, and it was just like everyone had had a side dish after all.
3: I'm not much for strong perfumes, but I do love to garden, and that's why my favorite of the Heartland candles is Rake. It smells just like grass, the legal kind, not the smoking and making you walk out on your kids' kinds.
0: Subtle, unassuming, of the home, not French. These are just a few of the superlatives customers have piled on our Heartland candles. Some of our intoxicating scents include Ego Breakfast, New Baby Smell, Double Wide Breeze, Strawberry Daiquiri with Mint, Chimney, Downtown Atlanta, Black Lady, Motorcycle, Sarah Palin and Tanqueray. We invite you to go home again without ever leaving your home to begin with. Whether or not you aim to stoke the flames of a romantic evening with our fancy coconut sunscreen tea candles, or just cover up the smell of a dead rat in your wall with one of our industrial strength propane springs pillars, light a Heartland candle tonight and let the smells of your life light up everyone else's.
1: Welcome back to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Derek Shaw Quinn. Our guest in the soup is my mother, Anne Rice. And we have some questions for her from the Facebook faithful.
0: And let me just say, let me pause for a moment to say, the idea here is that if you want to ask questions of our guests live on the air, you have to post them on our Facebook page The Dinner Party Show. And then the guests, while they're on the show, will answer them live on the air. So... If you have questions, now's the time to start posting them. And though we appreciate your good comments and hear some from that we, were waiting for us when we got here.
1: I know. We had a lot of people who didn't wait until we went live on the air. They they posted their questions. Previously, Henry Valdez, I hope I pronounced your name correctly, Henry, would like to know what was the worst thing I did as a child or young man that made you really mad and got me in the worst trouble for
4: doing it? (laughs) Well, you know, that's hard to answer because the thing that got me the most concerned uh, didn't have any consequences for you. We just explained that it was bad it was when you came into my marble tiled bathroom off my office and you decided to fill it with water because you thought that the bathroom <laughs> being tiled in marble would hold it like a pond I, I did. and all the water flooded down into Susie hughes like office downstairs Your in our house office. my secretary's listen, office
1: listen as a child i believed in a world where marble could support water <laughs> I, I still believe in my heart in that that's world. What, that's the
0: way it is on Jerry, Tom and Jerry cartoons.
1: I absolutely, or and the drowning pool. Or
0: I Love Lucy, where that whole bathroom right. fills up with water. Well, maybe
4: right. there should have been consequences. Like, maybe somebody should have taken you aside and said something about reality, but nobody <laughs> did.
1: Because <laughs> you weren't working in reality at the no, time. We were so busy
4: cleaning up that water and trying to, you know, see that the entire plaster ceiling. But anyway, that okay. was the worst. I, I that re- was one of the craziest I things I actually, you ever did. I
1: remember the worst thing. What and and you've forgotten it. <clears throat> I what was, was it? about six or seven years old and I hid from you yeah. two in a department store. Uh, I thought and I that. that was really bad. And I remember the moment when because it was the Bay Area and it was the eighties the and there had been a lot of child abductions. Yes. And none of this was going through my head. I just thought it would be fun. And I remember hiding behind a rack of blue jeans, because that's how small I was at the yes. time. Yes. Seeing dad's expression as he walked up and down the aisle thinking Uh uh-oh, I have done it. This is not going to be good. Too much. We
4: did not think it was funny. You're right. I remember that very distinctly. We were terribly frightened and upset. Yes. And... uh... You know, but you so, were very nice about but it. But the filling the
1: I bathroom was sick, with water, so I knew I, I needed to be nice about that. I it, like yeah. the water one. I
0: yeah. think somebody should invent a watertight bathroom. I think that's a Actually, really good call. Like, yeah,
1: I think you sure. should be able Go to fill up fill the room, up. right? Exactly. If they can do foam parties at gay bars, they can do watertight bathrooms in the homes of every Absolutely. American. I would think. Absolutely. What is our country coming to? I know. I know. We have another question. This one is from G. Dwayne Johnson. He says, looking back at your life, if you could not be an author, but you could be successful at any other occupation, what would you have chosen?
4: Oh, rock star singer, of course. But wow. I can't sing a note. But Dwayne said, if you, you know, if you could be successful, anything. Rock star singer, rock star singer, poet, oracle, Cassandra. You know, that's what I would have loved to have been. <laughs> wow. Oh, and by the way, hello, Dwayne, and I hope everybody down there is doing well. I love Dwayne; he's a very special friend. I love Henry Valdez too; very special friend. Well,
1: these are all very special people because they yes. posted their questions days ago, so they. Absolutely wanted to get them yep. answered on the air. Don Foyles would like to know of all the books you have written, which character do you most identify yourself with and why? This is a multi-part question. Could you imagine yourself starring in one of your own creations on the big screen? And what character would you play if you could?
4: Oh, I couldn't star in any of my creations on the big screen. I have never even thought about that. So that is just, I can't go there. The character that has the most of me in him, as oddly a male character, is Michael Curry in The Witching Hour. Not Louie. Well, Louie, yes. Yes, Louie, too. Louie in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, that was me. I am the only woman ever played by Brad Pitt on the screen, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, that you know of. <laughs> that I know of so far, yes. But uh, that's a tough question because I always go way out of myself into some alternate universe when I write. And I don't really think literally that any character is me when I'm writing.
1: Mm, They're all you.
4: They are, yeah.
1: Ran Valororn, he of the amazing Photoshop abilities, who's currently working on a series combining Honey Boo Boo with images from the Vampire Chronicle (laughs) movies. Do You hear
4: the doors slamming everywhere? Absolutely.
1: (laughs) He has a question for you, which I think is actually a question I would ask you. Is there a movie monster or mythical being that you haven't written about that intrigues you enough to add to your body of work?
4: You know, I'm thinking about that. Um, No.
1: Not the Loch Ness Monster. No. I I
4: have never really wanted
1: <laughs> Blizzard man. Maybe if Bigfoot <laughs> yeah. was a Shakespearean scholar living yeah. in a log cabin deep yeah. in the woods you with know. a violin.
4: This does make me think of a treatment I wrote once for TV that I never finished about a character, a lung man that lived under the sea, you know, a kind of, uh, well, what would you call it? The creature from the Black Lagoon, only from the Black Atlantic, you know. And I, I just, I don't know, that's about as far as I got into monsters. I'm still intrigued with the basic vampires, witches, and mummies, you know. Mm-hmm. I haven't, I just can't get away from ancient Egypt. And well, you've definitely I'm created sure. a big
0: universe there to yeah, explore. Yeah,
4: I love that classic old universe that Excellent. classic old universe that I inherited in the 40s at the neighborhood show
1: wonderful well yeah. uh, you are here with us for the remainder of the show you're going to dip in and out every now and then so we want everyone to stay tuned does this
4: mean you're putting me out of here? well we,
1: we have one of our special correspondents who is going to chime in this is Joan L. Sam she is our relationship. <laughs> that election is still on my brains and tongue and anyway, we haven't
0: talked enough about it maybe no. in the next segment
1: absolutely maybe. she is our relationship expert and um, she, you know, is an interesting... She has her own God, very whatever. unique
0: slant on relationships. I think yeah. everybody will benefit from right. Jonelle's very specific uh, view of that particular um, arena. Right. Um,
1: so if you just tuned in tonight for or logged on tonight for Ann Rice, don't go away because she's not going away. But for now, we'd like to introduce you to Jonelle Sams. It's time once again for the Dinner Party Show's Homemade Relationship Advice with Jonelle Sam's.
0: Hi, I'm Jonelle Sams I'm not a fancy therapist with a lot of degrees. I'm not some career girl who spent my life climbing the corporate ladder. I've spent more of my time climbing the kitchen cabinets trying to get stuff off the top shelf. What I am is someone who spent the past 22 blissful years happily married. I'm glad to join Chris and Eric to offer my thoughts on having a happy marriage because God knows the two of them don't know anything about it. I can't believe that two such fine specimens are still single, but maybe I can help. In the coming weeks, I'll be offering my thoughts and answering your questions from the Dinner Party Show Facebook page or you can write to me, care of careofjonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. But tonight, I thought I'd tell you a little bit about myself. I'm Jonelle Sams, as you know, and people ask me all the time, Jonelle, you and Merle always seem so happy all the time. You two still act like awkward teenagers around each other, but I know you've been together since the Grand Canyon first opened. What is the secret to your long and happy marriage? Well, as you can imagine, there is no one thing that is the secret to Merle's and my many happy years together. What I can tell you is that Merle and I make a real effort to stay off each other's nerves. Merle leaves me to my canning and baking and prayer meetings and taxidermy and such like, and Merle keeps up with his own hobbies and activities. Why, he and his friend Olsen Pew are always up to something, they enjoy a wide variety of activities. They are always off camping. They say they hunt and fish, but honestly, it's been 22 years and they've yet to bring home so much as a trout. Thank goodness they have other activities to keep them occupied or I'd never get anything done around here. They love buying and refinishing junky old furniture. I don't understand it, but they can turn some sow's ears into some right nice stuff. Me, I prefer old-style modern furniture, like from the regular furniture store at the Outlet Mall. Mediterranean is a personal favorite of mine. But that doesn't stop them. They just keep all their handiwork over at Olson's, before and after, so they're over there mostly. Olsen's still single, though he and the girls' P.E. coach from George Maddox Jr. High have been dating almost as long as Merle and I have been married. Of course, work keeps Merle plenty busy. He took over his family business, Sam's Barbershop. People always come in asking for Sam, but of course there is no Sam because our last name is Sam's. But they don't notice there's no apostrophe. There is no Sam in Sam's. <laughs> it's one of our favorite jokes. Merle loves his work, and Olson works right next door at the hardware store so they can pass the time and have lunch and whatnot. They most always nip over to Olson's for a quick bite in the middle of the day when they can get away. Merle has made the most of his business. He was not satisfied to follow in his father's footsteps and just cut hair. He has gotten a full cosmetology license, and he is always off to some training seminar or convention or other. Fortunately, Olsen is usually free to go along with him and they make all that work into a little adventure to buy their old furniture and dingy old paintings or just get out and see the sides. That Merle, he works so hard... Recently, the two of them have developed a fondness for cowboy movies. Merle had never shown much interest in the movies, if I ever go, which is rarely given the trashy content of most of what comes out these days, but if I do, I'm with the girls from my circle meeting, or that Florence from Sunday school, but she tends to like potboilers like that notebook and such. But I never could drag Merle to the movies. Then, this cowboy film came out, Brokeback Mountain, I think it was called, Well, you could not keep Olsen and Merle out of the Octoplex down to the Poison Creek Mall. Lord, there was something in there about quitting, and now every time the two of them say goodbye, it's something about how they can't quit. (laughs) Those two. Apparently, Olsen's gotten a big old collection of cowboy movies they can watch on the home theater they built there at Olsen's. Put this giant TV in an old concession stand they restored. And... When they're not over there watching Ride em Bronco or Back in the Saddle 4 or what have you, they're off to some convention or other. Why, sometimes it's almost like Merle doesn't live here at all. So that's my secret for today. It's a lot easier to get along with your husband if you can't find him. Till next time,
1: I'm Jonelle Sams with homemade relationship advice. If you have relationship questions, write to Jonelle Care of the Dinner Party Show Facebook page or to jonelle at thedinnerpartyshow.com. You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for The Dish, brought to you by your mother, Mistress of Guilt. (sighs) That's okay.
0: Go ahead and step on my foot. Why would I need to walk anywhere? I haven't been any place nice in years. The Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. As we've talked about previously here on The Dinner Party Show, it won't just be Christopher and me entertaining you every Sunday evening. We'll also have guests like Miss Jonelle Sams, our relationship consultant, Tuan, our astrological guide. And now, with a look at cultural happenings in Los Angeles and beyond, The Dinner Party Show would There's like no to... There's no
3: dinner here. It's just circuit boards and microphones and stuff.
0: What are you doing here, Jordan?
3: Hi, I'm the large critic, which is funny because I'm 5'5". Five five. <laughs>
0: no. You? Are the critic at large? No one discussed this with me.
3: He said you would be really happy to see me because you haven't seen me since I came to that party at your house.
0: Yeah, the one where you spit your gum in my deep fryer.
3: I thought you were cleaning out a trash can or something. And besides, you wouldn't listen. Deep fried gum would make a totally fun dessert.
0: Not your deep fried gum. Seriously. I don't think I could do this with you, Jordan. Well,
3: hi. You don't actually have to do it because I'm going to be the critic at large.
0: This is actually my show.
3: Um, it's not just your show. Your co-host told me that I could do this. Okay.
0: All right, Jordan why don't you introduce yourself to the audience so they can take this time to reorganize their sock drawer Okay,
3: hi audience, my name is Jordan Ampersand and if you're putting my name in print my last name is to be written like the and sign that you see on the sign in front of the bail bonds place when more than one person owns it. And I don't know a lot about posting bail but I did get arrested at the Abbey once because this reality show skank got up in my face about my uh. ironic Casey Anthony airbrush halter top and I told her like, you need to step off, are these merchants cherries are going to be your earrings. And she, like, wouldn't, so I okay, did. Okay, okay, okay. Pardon this me, Jordan. Got me Pardon Jordan.
0: Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. I'm a little taken aback by the your use of the term reality show skank. Why? Well, I didn't claim to be an expert on your past, Jordan, but... Given what I do know about you, you're no stranger to reality television.
3: Okay, seriously, this is like the porn rumor. Like, I never did any porn. I did some light swimsuit modeling when I first got to L.A. And I right. haven't been on like all these reality uh-huh. shows. I've only been on like four or five, and the only ones I can oh, remember are Child Smash and Sword Catch. <gasps> and I got really badly injured on one, which makes this a sensitive subject for me, because I signed this big release before I went on both shows it said the only way I could sue would be if the producers knowingly and would ran over my head with a truck. And they decided not to. You need to be nicer to me if I'm going to be on your show. You need to not begin
0: sentences to me with the word. Need All right, Jordan?
3: Can I go back to talking about myself well, now?
0: that's ever been a problem Thank for Thank you.
3: you. Okay. Three years ago, I sold everything I owned and came out to Los Angeles to fulfill my lifelong dream of having sex with guys who have been on TV at some point. And I'm happy to say I've already achieved that dream a whole a bunch. A whole bunch. So now I have lunch a lot and I get fired from stores that don't understand my message.
0: What, pray tell, is your message, Jordan? Be
3: free and fierce and use a credit card that has a rewards points program because you'll get cool shit.
0: You're the Voltaire of Robertson Boulevard.
3: I'm not really into drag
0: queens. Or reading.
3: That's crap! I totally read Twilight. It's beautiful and made me want to have sex with werewolves.
0: Well, it's a good thing we're not putting you in charge of the book club then, huh? No,
3: I just go see movies, right?
0: No, Jordan, you have to do more than that.
3: Whatever, I'm the critic. Remember, critics go see movies and get all kinds of toed up about the bad ones.
0: No, critics do not just go see movies. Every field of artistic expression has its own critics. Jordan ampersand. Theater, visual arts, architecture.
3: Puppet shows, graffiti, tattoo sleeves. Oh,
0: okay. Is this a job you're actually going to be able to do, or do the three of us need to have a conversation about responsibilities and priorities?
3: I worked at the Coffee Bean for a week. I understand responsibility. Okay, Jordan. I get it, whatever. I'll go watch all kinds of crappy things that aren't movies, and then come here each week and talk about them with you. And try not to be drunk. I don't get drunk in public. For the last time, Jordan, bars are considered to be in
0: public. Ugh, this again. Well, there you have it, folks. Jordan Ampersand, the dinner party show's own critic at large. Can't wait to see how long this lasts. Christopher!
1: Well, see, we promised everybody
0: would get served.
1: Uh, And we finally served West Hollywood with a guest appearance from Jordan Ampersand. Eric, we're going to talk about your treatment of Jordan in the long term. I think
0: Jordan is a caricature of Everyone we've ever met, or at least that you've ever dated.
1: Okay, that's enough. We're stopping right now. Uh, my mother is still in the room. She did not leave yet. She has not stormed out in an angry huff.
4: <laughs> and slammed the door. <laughs> but she, it's
1: early yet. And she doesn't know what we have prepared for the gossip segment that we will want her feedback well, on. I so think
0: Gordon, uh, I think
1: Gordon. Jordan! Gordon,
0: I think Jordan began to tease the topic. With his fondness for the werewolves.
1: There is a little movie that is coming out next weekend that will bring an end to a self described saga of films about vampires called Twilight. And Stephanie Meyer did an interview on Jimmy Kimmel this weekend where she asserted the following and let us know if any of this sounds familiar, Mom. She's never met a real vampire. Her older sister encouraged her to send her first book to publishers, and she says her sister's reward is that she gets to read everything first. Jimmy Kimmel said apparently that's not a big enough reward.
0: (laughs) Not considering what she's making.
1: She got mostly rejections and ignored when she sent out her first query letters to agents. Only one agent wanted to see more, and that was the agent that ended up representing her. Well, that's how it works. The original title of Twilight? Forks. Forks.
4: Forks. Boy, that would have been big.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, the silence from your side of the table no, no, on this is deafening.
4: Mine. <laughs> no, no, look, totally, I understand. Totally, I've never met a real vampire either. You know, she's oh. telling the truth.
0: But people really ask you that? Oh,
4: of course. Are you kidding?
0: So they're like, "Tell me, it's, it's really for yeah. real, right?"
4: Yeah. Oh, are you. Or sometimes you get sad calls. I got a really sad call from a from a person one time, and she said, "Please tell me, Liz Todd is real. That these." vampires are real. And I said, I can't. I mean, they're really, they're fiction. And she was just crying. And she said, I'm very, very sad. And my daughter is going to be too.
2: Mm.
4: I realized I was speaking to someone who was old enough to have a daughter that also read my books. Mm -hmm. And it was surprising, but I mean, she was really sincere, but I took this as a great compliment. I made her believe Lestat and Louis and Armand and the other vampires were real, so I was very that glad. That whole world, but and but usually it's it's kids that ask you. Yes. And I think <clears throat> the
1: achievement of Stephanie Meyer is that she has made people believe that people go to high school. <laughs>
4: Or that vampires go to high right, school. right. Yes, exactly. We've right. always known that people went to high school. I, yes, I <laughs> did know. You but but she not really made that people previously? believe it. She yes.
1: really made you believe that there were girls in high school who liked boys. Have you ever yes. seen that, yes. that that show, the the Vampire Diaries? The um, I the had, Kevin I Williams, I the had, Kevin I've
4: watched a couple of episodes. Yes,
1: they did a great shout out to you early on.
4: They did. They and did. I was honored. I really was honored. One of
1: her. the vampires, the Ian Somerhalder character, said as he was reading a copy of Twilight, "Oh, I." Miss Miss Anne Rice, she made all this stuff cool. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm honored. But, you know, I'm happy for all these other vampire writers. I really am. I love Charlene Harris oh, in particular. No. True blood. And I love, love true, blood, true blood, blood on HBO. Such and fun. I'm very happy for Stephanie Meyer and for Twilight. I mean, I understand what makes it work. I mean, I think she... Deserves credit for making millions of people don't. extremely happy.
0: And by further <clears throat> expanding the, the vampire myth, I, I think that yes. it's always a mistake to look at fame and fortune as though it's a pie that's going to run out. Exactly. There's it's a not- limitless amount of it for it's everyone. Totally. If you're willing to play yes. along, and Bram Stoker's birthday was just this week, yesterday. wasn't it? Yesterday,
4: yesterday was Bram Stoker's. The great birthday. grandfather yes. of it and all. He
1: is uh,
4: <laughs> <laughs> the author Dead. of Dracula. Oh, okay. I thought the of there's of a pizza place. Okay, yes.
1: yeah, I thought yes. he had that new pizza place yes. on Sunset in Los um, <laughs> Angeles. Yeah, okay. We just, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, it's interesting because the vampire is really one of the only subgenres where you can kind of go anywhere with it. I mm-hmm. mean, what would a okay. high school zombie drama look like? Oh, Eric, I, gird yourself. I, where we're talking not about zombies. zombies. I, I, oh my God! I hate do zombies. What do
4: people mean when they say, "Are you going to write about zombies?" What is there to write? Right, I,
0: they're so boring. They don't I have mean, any personality.
1: What? I know. And I, I, Eric and I always go back and forth about this. And I think that there are things that can be done with zombie stories that are interesting within the context of dystopian apocalyptic storytelling.
4: Yeah. And what that especially means, especially if you know what those words mean. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. I looked it up not long ago. Every went to
1: Brown. Every I went to Brown for a whole year. I know well, you, you did. and words. all they did was teach me what dystopian meant oh right? I
4: got it yeah
1: um, well, you were living in the town great.
4: of uh, H. P. Lovecraft. What do you expect? Oh, yeah, H. P. Lovecraft. We Why are we all Miskatonic still talking about University H. P. University is actually in that same town. The
1: racist, <laughs> creepy old man. Why? I Just. I, I, I,
4: oh, come on now. You, no man, You're going to really take listen. on horror fans around the world Let if me you t- get mean on H. P. Here's B. what Lovecraft. I'll tell
1: you. I, I will send. Are they listening to I will to send horror fans. First of all, the, every year there is an article written in some literary magazine which basically establishes that H. P. Lovecraft doesn't have any fans. <laughs> Cthulhu has fans.
4: <laughs> yes, okay, no,
1: Cthulhu has fans.
4: Cthulhu, I, th- okay. I know this is the first time I've ever heard it pronounced. Thank you.
1: But there are some writings out there that were published by him that are some of the most shocking and insidiously racist pieces of racist, writing you will ever really? hear. There is a poem which is the title of it is so racist I will not say it oh, on the no, air. Oh no!
4: Don't say it. And I there, thought he was only against. Half lizard people oh. <laughs> that met under the oh, that's under so the pyramids easy. to have you know to worship gods from a prior time.
1: I I have very strong feelings about this after having been recently exposed to this little. So bomb, in which other I words, we are about.
4: unearthing the fact that the guy is a racist. Is that what we're doing? And we're going to therefore call his entire Uber into listen. I think you question. Could, okay, that's are, the problem. That's okay. That's all right. I mean, you know
1: people are the product of the era that they live in yes, often. they are. But this one piece of writing in particular will really drop your jaw and transcends,
4: your drawers. Transcends yeah. the era. Well, on, on a future Eric, this is a radio
1: show. If you're going to look at me like that, it's going to need a sound effect. What kind of, yeah, what What are your
0: turn-ons? I can't wait to see your <laughs> fold-out page. Like, his turn-ons include racist poetry. <laughs>
4: well, Chris, are we going to... Lunatic
0: we gonna, horror writers.
4: Are we going to
1: hear this poem at a future day? No, I can't, it's so racist. I'm not Gonna read it. Yeah, you you'll just have to look it up online, guys. You can a little guys. bell
4: and hit the little bell.
1: Google <laughs> HP Lovecraft and racism. Okay. And you will find this poem right. almost okay. immediately. But after the very... show is over, okay. don't leave yeah. our website but wait a yet.
4: Let, let me just say, for the millions of horror fans out there listening to this show, H. P. Lovecraft was a great <laughs> God, horror writer. He was a great horror writer, and he was show. one of the few to create a, a, a total cosmology. And that was very inspiring to me, and inspired me to create a cosmology.
1: I, I'll give. I say that. that's okay. I understand. So let's give him I'll forgive for that. You. Yeah. Let's no. give
4: him credit. And also, he brought this kind of dark European ambiance to his stories. He made New England. Is creepy as England and that was quite an achievement for an American writer I don't think it's
1: much of an achievement these days but okay the right wing has <laughs> devoted yeah. a great
0: deal of time to
1: making New England seem creepy um, <laughs> <laughs> full of elitist people who actually know what they're talking about wow um, anyway so okay, we, we spun from Stephanie Meyer to H.P. Lovecraft so that's the Stephanie. first time anyone has done that fascinating
0: conversation about H.P.
1: Right, Lovecraft right. I'll say okay so what are we going to do Waffle House sex scandal I, you
0: know, I think maybe that it's time to um, pause. Right? No, it's not. It's not? It's not. We have another. I'm looking at, no, we have seven minutes until. You're
1: listening wrong. That's the segment.
0: But that's the time. Yeah. That's the actual time in the real world. This is Christopher and Eric learn to do a radio show. second directing me live. Isn't that fun? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Learning to do a radio show. Well, we were
1: just talking about art. And, and all sorts of things. And the, the next sponsor that we have is, is a, a movie. It's one of our first movie trailers. So I, I guess we'll just go and, uh, you know, let them say their piece. Oh, not with that noise we won't.
0: Uh-oh. Are we going to get the error message? Oh. She was a very pretty young woman no one found attractive.
3: You might as well learn to type, because despite the fact that you were the most attractive person in this movie, you ain't never gonna get you a husband. Oh, Mom. He
0: was just a regular guy who was really, really beautiful, even though he did absolutely nothing to earn the rippling abs and the artfully frosted hair in his rugged and thankless but heroic profession that no one but she appreciated.
2: I appreciate you. Let's eat another pizza and drink some more beer even though both of us are
1: clearly underweight and haven't eaten anything like this in years. Together, they're
0: exactly the couple you'll pay $15 to see them become, while they completely warp your sense of love, romance, and your vaguest grip on reality. Go away. I'm not sure what I want, and so I'm just going to throw you away without even asking how you
1: really feel. I'll wait patiently while you behave like a premenstrual 13-year-old. And then I'll say something completely improbable like you complete me after I do some ridiculously unlikely romantic thing to convince you that you should give me a chance. Even though I'm prettier than you
2: and such a catch, even straight men would probably accept my marriage proposal.
0: Theirs was a predictable romance that everyone saw coming, except the untalented studio hacks who keep greenlighting the same unmarketable, warmed-over romantic crap that's been bombing at the box office for years. You complete me. A skywriter spelling out the first thing I ever said to you? Why would you do that after the way I've treated you? I have no idea. And neither will you when you see this most recent version of the same romantic comedy that we've been remaking since Billy Crystal was still young enough to be a romantic lead and you didn't hate meg ryan i have no idea movie critics are calling the feel-good movie of 1985 why did they make the same movie again this year i have no idea coming to a theater near you
1: how did we get so lucky
0: i have no idea
1: Something tells me the marketing company for that last movie went a little rogue on that trailer.
0: I don't know. I think truth in advertising has a real place in the movie business. Not for movies that make any actual money, but I think, you know, audiences might appreciate it if you told them what they were actually in for.
1: Yes, but I don't think your clients would.
0: No, and since they're paying for the commercials. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I think that may be kind of um, beginning to come home to roost in the political arena as well.
1: Absolutely. Listen, we're still in the at the dinner table, I should say, with my mother, Anne Rice, our special guest for the evening. We have a really distressing story that has rocked the world of fast breakfast foods. <laughs> um, and I have to say, it is, I think, the first sex scandal I can remember of involving— um, a Waffle House. What? Okay, where that noise needs to stop. Um, <laughs> uh, woman claims Waffle House CEO required her to perform sex acts. Lawyer says the CEO's story differs. A former female employee has filed a police complaint alleging the CEO of Waffle House demanded she perform sexual acts on him in exchange for keeping her job. Stay At seated. Waffle House. Uh, no. Well, yeah, she just. Has...
2: <laughs> Right?
4: <laughs> Wait, she worked for the CEO. She wasn't oh, behind the oh, counter at okay. Waffle House. Oh, I thought it was happening at Waffle House. I thought he was the CEO of a local Waffle House.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they don't have CEOs of local okay, Waffle Houses.
4: Okay. And it's Waffle another, House I. Another corporate scandal. Okay. Excuse <laughs> me. The woman told
1: Atlanta police the alleged harassment by Joseph Rogers Jr. lasted for nearly 10 years. <laughs>
0: Yeah, can it really still be harassment after 10 years?
1: From 2003 through June of this year. Were the doors locked?
0: Could she not get out of the building? She
4: claimed
1: she had to keep the job because um, she was a mother and her husband had left her.
4: Well, maybe that that could happen, I yeah. know,
0: and it said that she needed the benefits, but you got to... Th- it's like, I'm wanting to go to work for Waffle House. I mean, the benefits there must be incredible if you would be willing to yeah. be sexually harassed for 10 years. I'm not... Just for... Just may I please just pause to say... It is not okay that that man sexually harassed no, her no, at all, not. ever. And, and I'm not saying know. that, yes. and I'm not in any way imputing her, although I thought it was interesting that his lawyer said that his story differed widely from her, yeah, wildly well, from hers, or yeah. widely, or something like that. Yeah.
4: But, but I think one but of the things. that you, said,
0: it is sort of like, God, stay for 10 years? Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. That's brutal. And a tide of regret sweeps over the studio for having raised this story, which seemed a lot funnier when we were reading it online, but and now raises all we sorts can't of unfortunate.
4: Laugh at A poor woman who feels that she was victimized, can we?
0: Well, what I loved is that the the way she did it, she did what she had to do. She got her kid to the point. Her son got a full ride scholarship to college, and that's when she went after the bastard. So go get him, girl.
4: Yeah.
1: Which is going to really work against her in court, I have to say. Um, the next story we want to address is uh, is really it's this guys this is really serious. Are you guys ready? I'm ready to be okay. serious. Okay, it's Completely. been you know it's election
0: week so there's a lot of
4: serious it's stories. It's not out happening at a waffle house.
1: It's I not really happening in a, at a waffle house. It's happening in a far more serious place and that is Twitter. Oh, everything yeah. Big serious news. happens on Twitter.
0: Very serious.
1: Don Lemon of CNN, sort of fame, and Jonah Hill, the actor, got in a feud. On Twitter. Mom, are you looking at me weird? Do you know what Twitter is?
4: I do <laughs> 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 You little devil. <laughs> you little serpent's tooth. Of course I know what Birdsong. Twitter is. It's birds. <gasps> <sighs> Go ahead.
1: On Thursday, 46-year-old CNN host tweeted that he said hi to the 28... <laughs> sorry. sorry, Excuse me. The 28-year-old 21 Jump Street star in a hotel. That would be Jonah Hill. And Hill did not say hi back.
0: Oh, no. Uh,
1: said hi to Jonah in a hotel, Lemon wrote. I really feel like we should have had Shakespearean actors do the various right. tweets. Patrick
0: Stewart reads the tweets from Jonah and Don.
1: <sighs> Don Lemon went on to say, I think he thought I was a bellman. Didn't know his name till the bellman told me. A lesson to always be kind. In another tweet, John Lemon described... I'm sorry, Don Lemon. <laughs> We're now
0: making up new characters What for was the in story. those
1: cookies, Eric Shaw Quinn? Well, you know. Uh, Lemon described Hill as a tool. Mom, do you know what people mean when they no, describe someone Chris, as a No,
4: do okay, I don't, Chris. What did Okay, I got it. I wonder why. Okay. Um, Hill
1: later responded, I, I said hi. Very useful. Hill responded, I said, hi. What do you want me to do? Move in with you? I was in a hurry. Didn't realize you were a 12-year-old girl. Peace.
0: <laughs> yeah, because that's always a peacemaking kind of thing to say. <laughs>
2: no, I'm it's... bombing
0: your country. Yeah. Peace.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. That,
0: I mean, that's all you have to do is just put that on the end and everything is fine.
1: Here's my favorite part about all of this. that In the wake of it, they have all deleted these tweets. But, of course intrepid gossip journalists throughout the country have managed to uh, Capture hold on the to the tweets. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank heavens that's going to be preserved for posterity. Right. You are a Facebook person, Mom. Indeed, I am. And I try to do split shifts between both. I like Twitter more. But I'm telling you, the fights that people get in on Twitter are, in my opinion, so much worse because you have less room to say what you want to say. So you right. have to make it super hateful super fast. And yeah. I remember when I weighed in about the Chick-fil-A controversy. I some of the tweets curled my hair.
2: Really?
4: Because I
1: put the hashtag on it, which, you know, mm-hmm. my part in it is you're you're inviting a response because yes. it puts it into the search stream of that topic. Right. I mean people just saying stuff to me, I was and interestingly enough, they were all cartoons. Their, their profile photos were oh, all oh, of cartoons. Oh, they were all
4: cartoon yes. people twittering. Okay. Absolutely. Interesting.
0: Well, I, a writer, uh, one of my favorite writers actually said um, in a, a response that she wrote on one of those uh, particular kinds of insidious um, anonymous assaults that the internet has become the bathroom wall of our – Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Was that um, mom who said that? Oh. (laughs) Yes, it was. Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's like people, because it's anonymous, can say or feel empowered to just say the most horrible and vitriolic things about each other. The thing that I want to say to everyone is that if it happened on Twitter, that means it didn't really happen.
4: You mean we have to forgive Donald Trump for what he tweeted the night of the election when Obama won?
0: My God.
4: (laughs) Or forgive ourselves for paying
0: attention to it in the first place. <laughs> what did he tweet that he that we oh, need
4: to forgive oh, him? Oh, for? it was uh, a disgrace. Uh, we needed a revolution. We needed Whatever. a revolution
1: to which somebody I can't remember exactly who promptly pointed out, Donald, do you have any idea what happens to rich old white men in revolutions? <laughs> like, hello, girl.
0: Yeah, I actually don't pay that much attention to people like that. So. But uh, here was well, the Well, he strangest. deleted the tweets they, too,
1: right? But Brian Williams right? covered it on the news broadcast with this great disdain and said that Donald Trump, who has dwelled past the point of relevance. Yeah. <laughs> And now I'm going to quote him on the national news. What the hell was Brian Williams doing quoting Donald Trump on an election night newscast? This just is. Yeah. Donald Trump it's passed news. his expiration date. It's news date.
4: when someone makes a complete fool of themselves like that. It's news. I guess
0: you're right. I you guess know, that I mean, can be a case for that. He is a celebrity.
4: <laughs> he has remarkable hair. He's a celebrity. No, but I mean, you know, well, he's, he ran for president for five minutes, didn't he? Or yes, I he was a runner, no, I
1: think, teased, for a minute. he teased, he never yeah, showed up to a debate. Yeah, and he announced
4: on. right before the... Right before before the election that he had a huge bombshell to drop did he not and of Absolutely. course it was what a $5 million reward if the president would, would show, uh, would, yeah, show would his, his high school records his, yeah. or something mm-hmm. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah college records that was, yeah. the, that was the embarrassing he one. said if his, if the president would disclose his college records he would give he Donald Trump yeah. would give $5 million to a charity I guess in inner city Chicago or something yes, like that yes that's
4: right yeah yeah, yeah. and I maybe mean, a man who builds up with I'm going to drop a big bombshell before the election and then comes out with that you know, that's news.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's gossip for the evening. And now we'd like to introduce one of our next, our, excuse me, our next. Right,
0: we're going to go take a more serious turn to the conversation. Here. Yes,
1: we have Buzz Kilton, our Bay Area culture critic, is here, and she's usually worked up about something. And I think tonight it's an episode of some TV show. I'm not really sure which one. Let's see what Buzz has to say.
2: Here
0: once again to teach us how the power of free expression can be used to destroy ideas she finds personally threatening, it's our Bay Area culture critic, Buzz Kilton.
2: Good evening, I'm Buzz Kilton, and this is the Dinner Party Show's Bay Area Culture Report. Recently, I spent several months on the Navajo reservation where I managed to negotiate a lasting truce between several of the tribe's members and the management of the Quickies liquor store on Highway 16. When I returned to my home in Berkeley, my partner, Shahini, convinced me that it was finally time to introduce our daughter, Jamaica Hisu, to that most complex and potentially mind-altering institution of American culture— Television. Jamaica is certainly our pride and joy. We treasure her as we would treasure the first spreading leaves of our winter boar kale plants. By giving her two different names from antipodocultural environments, we have stripped her of the potential ethnic confusion that may arise one day when she learns that we adopted her from a mother who tried to shoot her when she accidentally uncovered her stash of Iraq cocaine. BANNING TELEVISION, AS WELL AS ALL OTHER FORMS OF ENTERTAINMENT THAT DON'T INVOLVE OUR LOOM, HAS HELPED US TO INURE JAMAICA, HE sue, FROM THE PERNICIOUS INFLUENCE OF PATRIARCHAL CULTURE, AS WELL AS PAINFUL MEMORIES OF A MOTHER SHE REMEMBERS ONLY AS BANG BANG BANG. SO IT WAS, WITH SOME TREPIDATION, THAT I YIELDED TO MY LOVING LIFE PARTNER'S REQUEST. We spent time searching for the right television program with which to introduce Jamaica to this troubling medium. Seven months later, we settled on a show entitled I, Carly. Initially, I was concerned that the little I and the lack of a space before Carly meant that the young woman in question was either a robot or composed of just enough electronic components to allow her male captors to trade and sell her at will. Sho Heini assured me that the title's strange spelling and lack of capitalization was an allusion to the fact that the character in question had her own non-pornographic internet-based show. The title of the episode we viewed was Carly's Got a Hot Room. I found the choice of words here to be distressing in that they raised a certain level of sexual ambiguity around a program being marketed to young viewers. And while Carly is certainly a major character, the episode centered largely around the antics of her older brother Spencer, who seemed to have no gainful employment or creative outlet of any kind, yet spends an inappropriate amount of time with younger children." Also, Spencer's inability to express himself with anything besides large cartoonish gestures or loud exclamations of silly, nonsensical catchphrases suggested a propensity for imminent violence, possibly sexual in nature. I attempted to engage in some in-process decoding for Jamaica, but by then she was too busy clapping her tiny hands and laughing while Spencer presented Carly's friends with the secret gift he had made for her birthday, a lamp fashioned entirely out of gummy bears. The lamp was placed in Carly's room as a surprise, and within minutes her room was ablaze, as indicated by weak puffs of smoke generated at the top of the set's single staircase, smoke which sent the entire cast hurtling down the steps without any apparent knowledge of or regard for proper fire evacuation procedure. So, Heine and I were both furious that the environmental impact of this fire was not explored in any way. Rather, the remainder of the episode focused entirely on the catastrophic damage done to one teenager's crass temple of materialism and consumption. When an unexpected insurance check allows Spencer and Carly's friends to redo her entire room in the span of several hours, an absurd conceit even for an alleged children's show, the true and terrible meaning of the words Carly's got a hot room become distressingly clear. What aspect of Carly's room receives the most time and attention during this frenzied renovation? Was it green technology or, God forbid, a fire escape? No! It was Carly's makeup table. Kudos to the producers and writers of iCarly for sending the message to young girls everywhere that they should spend their time painting their faces like dolls so that their patriarchal oppressors may take pleasure in their physical appearances before they incinerate them. As is usually our custom when we expose Jamaica Hisu to popular culture, Shahini and I spent the next several hours using feeling sketches and creative movement to decode the barely sublimated messages of misogynistic hatred found throughout this episode of iCarly. We invite you to join our conversation and share in our beliefs at the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page. Next time, I'll return with a step-by-step guide to creating celebratory, non-offensive, multicultural, stand-up comedy.
0: You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. And now it's time for dessert, brought to you by your sister's new husband who's had way too much wine.
1: I mean, everybody's cheated at least once, right? I I, I mean, am I right? The
0: Dinner Party Show. Keep listening if you've got the stomach for it. Wow. So the mics were live, huh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Two kinda... chatty Cathy's jumped the gun earlier. It's, I guess we can forgive them because for, it's our first show. But... you got to
0: watch that whole talking when the mics yeah, turned on absolutely. thing.
1: Wow, that Buzz Kelton is a serious lady. She has very strong opinions. I'll say. The yes. Bay Area meant some very strong opinions, and in it's independent women. Right. As I know, because I was born in the Bay Area.
0: And educated there.
1: I was. I was. By strong and opinionated women. Very strong opinionated women who all shut down their browser when they heard that segment, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) Everybody gets served.
1: Well, I know, right? After curring the favor of the Green Party for the first fourth of the episode, now we're drawing in the right-wing Republicans. Um, or our, horror f- novelists. Our questions – I'm sorry. I've had tea, too much tea and I'm talking over everyone, which is what usually happens when I attend a dinner party. But we have been promising people that if they go to our Facebook page right. for the dinner party show – The most important part. Absolutely. And they hit like on the page so that we can feel loved and validated, they would have the opportunity to ask you a question – And, oh, Sumiko, I love seeing your post, but I'm going to mispronounce your name probably. Sumiko Salson would like to know if she can expect the Wolf Gift sequel anytime soon. And she wants to know if Oakland will be in it because she was so excited when it was featured in the Wolf Gift last time.
4: Oakland. I left out Oakland. Darn. Okay. Sumiko (laughs) has hit unlike
1: on your page. No, no,
4: no, no. Miko, wait a minute. Stop. Stop. Yes, you can. There is a Wolf Gift sequel coming, and it will be late next Next year, and we're still laboring a little bit over the schedule and what's going to happen. But uh, it's definitely there will be more of the whole gang of werewolves at Nideck Point. Yes.
1: And do we have a title?
4: Well, we did, and mm-hmm. we do, but work uh, is still taken, has, as I understand. is still available. Is available. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <clears throat> I think it's going to be the Wolves of Midwinter, but Ooh. I am not exactly oh. certain. The, I'm not certain. I mean, I it's, you like know, we that. haven't. The publication hasn't been announced
1: yet. You heard it here first on the no, dinner party show, folks. <laughs> the Wolves of Midwinter has been announced, <laughs> and possibly you heard it here last uh, on the dinner party right. show. It may come, never come up again. Oh, so
4: here come the phone calls from New York. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let's hope New York is listening, okay? <laughs> right? Or still Let's awake, or is, that they have power and can watch the power. show. And can, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm it's most hoping. important. But I think most people in Manhattan have their power back. Is that I am I correct in saying that? I hope so. It seems like there's still
0: a lot of people really. struggling. Struggling. Yeah. Anyway, more questions from our Facebook followers.
1: Buffy Peterson has a question for you, Mom. Let's take Hi, you Buffy. let's take you back to the day you met Stan. Stan and Lestat are huh. standing together. Which one do you think you would have ended up with?
4: Wow, my gosh, what a strange question. Well, I didn't know yet then that Lestat was coming into the world. And I do remember vividly the first day I met Stan. We were in journalism class in Richardson High School in Richardson, Texas. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting at a table in front of the room, and he got up and came back to the table where I was sitting and sat down. And uh, I thought, what a self-assured and charming young man. And I kind of almost fell in love with him right then.
2: Mm. Well, he was
4: fifteen and I was sixteen.
0: Aw, that's a great story. You think he came back to sit with you?
4: I think he got tired of being up there by himself. That's what he said. I'm tired of being up there by myself. I'm gonna come back and sit with the rest of you. And uh, I thought, What a distinct, confident person, you know.
0: Right, to such move a, around such in glass. A
4: sweet little fifteen year old boy with a beautiful baby face, and he was so tall, six feet tall, you know. So I kinda of fell in love he with looked him. Looked
1: like this guy?
4: <clears throat> yes he did. He did look like Christopher Rice, yes.
1: I think some people in Canada didn't hear that mint tin. Yeah, I'm, some, I'm, I'm helping <laughs> myself to some of the complimentary Altoids Absolutely. here in the studio. No, mm-hmm. I love that story. He also had bad acne, right? He also didn't he? Well,
4: he did. Yeah, but I blot yeah. out things like that. But,
1: but it was part of the know. confidence was that he did. He, he wasn't. It. An, it. He yeah, ignored it. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Sean PT. I'm not sure that's his last name, but it's capital P, little T. Welcome to dinner, Sean. Anne Rice, I have been listening to the show, and I want to know, what is the worst thing you did as a child?
4: Oh, I don't even want to talk about it. Okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no, I did some bad things as a kid. Really? Oh, yeah. I, I did some bad things. I, I understood evil by the time I was finished with childhood. Well, yeah, oh I man. Just, I just Heavy. At, I Good just Catholic education. That. No, I, I remember moments of moral decision as a child, you know, so I, I did some bad things. Wow. But but I, I've heard that the difference between kids that grow up to be criminals and kids that don't is that for some reason or another the children that do these bad things who don't become criminals they, they understand it's bad and they recognize that and they don't do any more. So did you like things.
0: knock over a bank or?
4: Well, it wasn't a bank.
0: Somebody swimming it with the fishes. It wasn't a bank. You wound up with a pocket full of gum that I, I
4: I hate to even discuss oh, what my I did. Oh goodness, I, like, I can't yeah. wait till
0: we get but off the air. There were
4: moments when I did <laughs> physical harm to other children and oh. I realized how bad that was the capacity in myself to hit someone to hurt someone and I moved uh, away from that yeah. you know so I, I was not an angelic kid not mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination I was a very outgoing rambunctious kid mm-hmm. well,
0: that, well you can see how that would be
1: yeah absolutely uh, uh, and what is your preferred ending to a book? Panos Sturgiolopoulos. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's difficult names night tonight on Facebook. Panos, I'm sorry. I can't pronounce your last name. I apologize. But he, Panos would like to know, what is your preferred ending to a book? A happy one, a sad one, or even a bittersweet one?
4: Gosh, I, I really, <clears throat> I'm not famous for doing good endings because endings, I think, are artificial. And books have a way of climaxing and then tapering off from me. But um, I'm always hopeful that I'll be able to end the next one on a more satisfactory note. But I, I guess the open ending—the open ending that the story goes on, that the people go on—that mm-hmm. this has just been part of life and they're going to continue.
1: That—that
4: mm-hmm. that I go for much more than any other kind of ending.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And of course, I, like I get when letters tell saying. What happens to everybody?
4: Yeah, boy. I like it when they do that at the end of the movie. Right. Rory went on to found a million-dollar company. Right?
0: Yeah, like uh, <laughs> well, he
4: became a senator.
0: Animal House.
4: Exactly. <laughs> that's kind of, that's Heartwarming wonderful. Heartwarming Animal House. Yeah, exactly.
0: One more, and then we'll go on for a break. Or Absolutely. One take- more
1: question. And what is the best advice that Christopher has ever given you? Rand Howell would like to know.
4: Rand would like to know that, huh? Well, let me think. What 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 would you say is the best advice you've ever given me?
1: Um. Honestly, I don't know. I think the, there's a piece of advice that you've um, given me, which is write the book that you want to read.
2: Oh my God, we're having a technical meltdown on the dinner party show. Give us back our computer, Brandon. I'm sorry, I can't keep that quiet
1: anymore. Folks at home, you got to apologize. We had a little computer malfunction during the last segment, it was driving me nuts.
2: <laughs> the best,
1: you gave me a piece of advice which I disseminate to everyone in the world, which is, or anyone who asked me about writing. Which is write the book that you want to read mm-hmm. and not the book that you think will sell, right. not the yeah. book that uh, you think will, um, you know, uh, win a Pulitzer Prize, but write the book that you mm-hmm. want to
4: read. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, yeah, and so I—that is you know, very important. The best advice that I've ever given you, I don't know. I think that would be an arrogant question for me to answer. So I think you have to answer. Yeah, that for I, me. I
4: don't know. You've always given me good advice. You've always given me very good, very grounding advice. I can't think of any particular thing. You okay. Know? I consult you all the time on everything.
1: Right. Well, we have a commercial break to go to now, and then we will come back so you can give it a little bit more thought and talk about how amazing I am <laughs> after this short break.
0: Is your dessert missing a certain smug satisfaction? Do you feel superior because you're getting dessert while others must do without? Or are you just eating your cake and ice cream, judgment-free? Well, your worries are here at last. You can have your cake, and mine too, with new schadenfreude ice cream. It's the unjust dessert that offers you the hollow satisfaction you love and the empty calories you crave. Each yummy mouthful is filled with rich, delicious satisfactoids. The very same chemical your brain produces when you watch the expression on the face of a hateful conservative politician's haughty wife while he confesses to buggering his page and best friend's son while sponsoring anti-gay legislation luxuriate and decadent flavors like glass strawberry hard rocky road and humbleberry pie why just have dessert when you can feel better about your crappy life Every tasty bowl of schadenfreude will make you feel just like you're looking down on someone you've always secretly wished ill. Schadenfreude ice cream. Finally, the unjust dessert that offers you true satisfaction.
1: You're listening to The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. The Dinner Party Show... If you can't think of anything nice to say, you'll probably feel right at home here. Wow, man, this is a tough crowd in this room. (laughs) We have a little bit of time left before the hour is up and before our first... Premier live cast is Can't over. That. Our guest is Ann Rice, who I got because, you know, we went to college together years <laughs> ago. And, you know, she always encouraged me uh, to pursue my writing, even uh, though I wanted to write zombie musicals. And
4: yeah. anyway,
1: we have a question on zombie the Facebook musical. page. That's
2: yeah. a thought. Go
1: ahead. Terry Brewer. <laughs> 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 yeah, that'll be great. Uh, Eric Shaw Quinn hates zombies. But
4: a bit of musical. I mean, yeah, really. That was the zombie That's, singing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but that's a great opportunity. Drag your foot, the big hip. (laughs) Drag your foot. Eat that brain. Roll your hands. Roll your
1: (laughs) hand. Be a metaphor for contempt for your fellow man. (laughs) Uh, Terry Brewer on our Facebook page for The Dinner Party Show. Yes. Did financial success change you as a writer, Ann?
4: No, it did not because I got financial success for writing exactly what I wanted to write.
1: Amen, sister. Tell us about that. And the bottom
4: line was do what you want to do. And also I can't control it well enough to be changed by financial success. I mean I'm always veering off and trying something new and and getting, you know – Rejected and then finding a new audience or expanding in a new direction. So, no, I would say it didn't change me at all. Mm-hmm. But I mean, who knows? Everything changes you. Right. You
1: know,
0: well, the was, Eisenberg principle of writing.
4: Yes, <laughs> true.
1: <laughs> if there was a life event that you think changed you the most as a writer, what was it? Other than my glorious birth.
4: Oh, <laughs> that was a wonderful thing that happened, your glorious birth.
1: The Teltos. Uh, I,
4: I think. <laughs> What what changed me, what life event, I guess going back to the South, mm. you know, getting getting financially mm. secure enough to leave San Francisco and leave a certain measure of security that Stan had there with his job and his tenure job at San Francisco State University with medical insurance and and going back to the South and depending on my own earnings as a writer for us to live in the South. And that dramatically changed my writing. I think my vocabulary probably increased by 50%. Mm-hmm. You know, when I got in New Orleans again and began to see it, and, and, and I exploded with, with The Witching Hour, which was a huge book that would never have been written if I'd stayed on the West Coast. I would have written something else, maybe something better. Who knows?
1: But you started The Witching Hour when we were living on the Left Coast. I, coast. I did. Excuse I did.
4: Me. I had about five little chapters of it and didn't even know really where it was going. And then I got down there, and it just exploded. And know? the
1: character of Michael Curry was a woman, right? A redheaded woman named Katherine. Catherine.
4: You know, I don't even remember that. Did I, I?
1: think I remember, yeah. yeah. I, but
4: Michael was certainly yeah. born down there. He, was, he But certainly it's certainly
1: was. of that
0: place. I One of the things oh, that I have yeah. enjoyed most about your writing over the years is that it's a trip home. I haven't been Yeah. A childhood as, about as long as I was in Louisiana, and now mm. my trips home are just a, a page turn away.
4: That's great. I appreciate that very much.
1: So what region of the country are you moving to next, Mom? Uh, here's what I'll say. If, if this is a warning. This These is a warning. write this down. Okay. Write,
4: write, this is good advice. Huh? With, yes. No, what I'm about
1: to say is very good advice. So people of the page and Anne Rice fans, watch her movements very closely. Several months after you left San oh, Francisco, for sakes. the Loma Prieta earthquake happened. True. Okay. Several months after you left New Orleans, Katrina happened. That's true. Several months after you left San Diego hellacious wildfires almost made their way to the ocean just north of where you lived in La Jolla. Right, that And does a giant
0: happen. sinkhole opened up right up the street from the house you were living in. If you yeah. ever
1: leave the desert, let, us am, know. let everyone in the desert be warned. No, just tell uh, us.
4: No, I'll do my best to call the desert sun and, and
1: tell <laughs> I'm the, leaving. I'm
4: leaving now. You can stuff's
1: take, <laughs> going down. Right? Yeah, I,
4: I don't know why that happens. I don't know why that happens. I but, Clearly, but it, you're
1: god. It, it I, I don't know.
4: It does. It's, it's very strange. I I miss these big disasters. You right? Know? I, I An do.
0: intuitive sort of sense. Yeah.
4: Some
1: sort of sick sense about yes. location, location, location.
4: location.
3: <laughs> <Right>.
1: Crash. <laughs> I
4: know.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I, I you're kind of settled now, right? I don't go anywhere. I, I can't follow you. I like California.
4: No, I, I want very much to stay in California, and I want to be close to where you are. And uh-huh. also... <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I lived in California for 30 years mm-hmm. before I ever went back to the South. And it's like my second home. I came out here when I was four years old on a train with my mother mm-hmm. to Los Angeles. And oh, yeah. then I came at 13 on a bus to stay with the Davio family, my wonderful cousin, Alan Davio, his his parents, my aunt and uncle.
1: Let me tip in just for a second and point out that Alan Davio is a multiple Oscar nominee cinematographer right. who was the cinematographer for E.T. Right, right. The Color Purple. Yes. So many so brilliant purple. runs Empire, in Empire that family. Of the, Empire
4: of the Sun and both Empire it, of and, the and, Sun. And, yes, and just, just wonderful films. We're leaving one out there that, that he did. Um, it's, the, it's The Astronaut's Wife. No, The Barry Levinson film that's with Aidan Quinn. It was a wonderful film. Avalon. Thought, Avalon. 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 Yeah, oh, yeah. My. and Alan worked really hard in the beginning of Avalon. It was a spectacular beginning. Mm hmm. And, yeah, he, he was a big influence on me. But anyway, this has always been a place that's like a second home. You know, mm. my mother lived out here for years before I was born. And she told me many, many stories. And so I'm, I'm very happy to be back in that's California. Great. And I need, I need novelty and I need extremes.
1: That's wonderful. Well, well this well, is the place for both of yes, those things. <laughs> and I'll have to say you provided both tonight. Um, this is our first... Our debut, our premiere of The uh, Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Quinn is now coming to a close. It has only taken a year for us to get to this point. And it took Mom three hours to drive in today to get to the point that she's at on the other side of the table. We want to thank everybody who tuned in or Thanks every so anyone much. who is uh, downloading the podcast. Eric, any final thoughts? Oh no, I can't <laughs> thought of anything.
2: That's so unfair. Well, I was sitting there thinking, God, you've had a lot of caffeine. You've been talking over your co-hosts all night and I would turned to you. Would you like to you...
0: say something profound or would you like to look like a clueless idiot, Eric? <laughs> let me just randomly turn to you and say any final words?
1: Yes. It's over. Okay. Let me also point out that it every time tonight like I was years. dealing with our social media, that was the moment where both of you fell quiet when I was scrolling through uh, the Facebook questions on the iPad. So obviously we We will will get the hang of this as we go We're going to be working on this. And may I thank the
4: people of the page for posting their questions. Thank you so
1: much for listening in. Absolutely. Next Mm. week we will be back at this same time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. We're live across all time zones. Who are our guests? At those times we will be joined by award-winning thriller writer, (laughs) Greg Hurwitz, who's a dear friend of mine and a very talented guy and also a very attractive guy, as you can tell from his headshot. And we will also be joined by the operator or the master Control of one of the most popular entertainment blogs in cyberspace, Pink is the new blog. Trent Banegas will be joining us for the gossip segment Excellent. to go through entertainment uh, headlines.
0: That ought to up our game.
1: Absolutely, and we will have special correspondence galore. But for now, that's the end of our marvelous little party oh, here at the dinner party well, we show. Did we, did we, did
3: we did it. We did it the whole time.
1: We did it. We did it. Thank to you, everyone.
4: thank you, gentlemen.
1: Thank you, Anne.